Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jeremy Weiss here, host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Lauren, I always like to mention past episodes. There's, there's so many good past episodes because when we're talking about operations and CO, it's like the sexy or non-sexy stuff that actually makes things run smoothly. So past episodes, Dave, we had David Allen of Getting Things Done. Um, Michael Gerber of the EMF, and there's been many more, so check them out, including today's. And I'm going to introduce today's guest in a second. But this episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. So if you've had team members ask you the same questions over and over, and you may be may have spent ten times explaining it, well, there's probably a better way. Uh, Sweet Process is actually a software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with the existing staff. And when I was talking with Owen who's one of the founders, not only do universities, banks, and hospitals use them, but in software companies, but also first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations to run their operations. So you can use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time and your team's time so you can grow. And there's, you can sign up for a free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Sweetprocess.com. It's sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process. I'm excited about today's guest. She's literally helped change the world, I think. Lauren Letta is COO. She's pivoted her career from fashion to philanthropy and decided to pivot again. She spent the past decade growing the innovative nonprofit Charity Water. I, I don't know. I feel like, Lauren, everyone's heard of Charity Water at this point. Maybe not. But they grew from $10 million to $100 million, reaching more than 12 million people with clean water during her tenure. And at the end of 2020, Lauren decided to give up her dream job as a COO of Charity Water and forge a new path. So Lauren, thanks for joining me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for that. Excited to be here. Maybe we'll talk about the new path. I mean, we're going to get into kind of how you got there in the first place, the what you did as COO and how you put a lot of these systems and operations in place. So it helped run much smoother. And maybe at the end, we'll have time to talk about the next journey. I hope we do. Um, I want you to start with, we were chatting before we hit record about the rise of the COO. Hmm. So what, what did you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great, it's a fun topic right now, I think. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't offer it as my own. I heard, a, um, I heard a really successful proven COO who's grown some unicorn companies talk about it. Her name is Allison Pinkins and she's written about it. Uh, so you should look it up. Um, but it was this concept of, and I see it now too, the rise of the COO in that every company of all different sizes are hiring a COO. And I, even as I've come up through my time of being a COO, it was like, what is a COO and where does it fit in the organization? And what does a COO do? And, and I found on pretty quickly with my own experience and from the people in my network that there are very many different types of COOs. And Allison talks about two of those topics, um, one being what is the COO and how do you become one and what are the different types of COOs, which is an interesting one. And the other one is why are there so many companies of so many different stages and sizes, and especially I think in the startup world, starting to look for a COO. And if you go out there and search right now and you are a COO, you'll see, I mean, I, every company I've ever heard of, I feel like I look out and every day it's like another cool company is thinking about this position. And oftentimes for the first time, 
And I think it's for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I think that at the end, you know, a mentor of mine ultimately said, you know, COOs and operators are problem solvers and a business is a series of problems. And at the end of the day, most of the best COOs I know are some form of a generalist. And especially in the startup world that we, so many of us are kind of in right now. And if you're not in, it's a good mentality to bring back because it helps you kind of provoke what does it look like if you're working in a lean operating system or if you're not kind of bound by the structure of a larger company, how can you innovate within that? And this operating generalist mentality, I think, is, is a master of all trades and it helps to kind of bring the pieces together and solve whatever, you know, dynamic problem might be thrown the business's way. Ultimately, like every day is there something new with the business. But the other thing I think is that there's a lot more founder led businesses now. And Allison speaks about this as well. The idea of, you know, what used to be the CEO, which was this person who's come out of a business school, has a proven track record of running companies. You look around right now and you have a lot of companies led by people that maybe have never run a company before. You know, maybe they went to business school, maybe they have some experience working in a company, but a lot of times they're visionaries and creatives and that doesn't necessarily apply to being the best person to run a business. So I think a lot of folks at this stage are starting to say, who's, what's my backhand and how do I solve for that? You know, what is the side of me that's not my strongest? And I think in a lot of places, the CEO, especially if a founder or a visionary is looking for the person to do the day-to-day -to, -day to run the business. So you mentioned the different types. What are some examples when you say different types of COOs? Yeah, well, I think there's different stages of companies and, and, and depending on what a COO looks like there. And I think there's also different makes of, makeups of what a COO can take on. So for example, like in my, in my um, position and in the positions I'm really excited about is when the COO is really looking at the collective organism that is the company and kind of all the interlocking pieces. So for me, what that meant is, um, I sat over revenue and brand, and I sat over, sat over the internal operating functions like finance and, um, or not like finance, like uh, production and operations and people and culture. And there was this kind of relationship that are between how does the business run on the inside for the people inside and how does the business um, present itself outside to its customers? I love the interconnectivity of that. And I think that makeup of that type of a COO is what maybe traditionally would be more of a president um, because that's a role that you assume kind of has the domain of the entire uh, organism of the, of, the, of the ecosystem of this business, right? All the functions working together. I really love that type of a role because I think it, it is efficient. Um, and I think it also adds for a lot of continuity as opposed to a structure, let's say there's another thing where like maybe the COO is really sitting over just the internal operating functions. And then of course, working in balance with revenue leaders. Um, and that's another great way to work on it, especially depending the type of COO or the type of um, skill set that that person has. But then it requires much more of a um, alignment between the revenue leaders and making sure that you don't create silos between the different ways that the teams are working. Um, and I think no matter what, it's all about really what is the, the COO, whatever type they are, is really aligning the pieces of the organization or the company so that they, they run together. I want to get granular uh, in a little bit, Lauren, about kind of what you did and, and things you put in place. But I'd love for you to give me an overview of the evolution of the different positions you had, because you came in doing one thing at Charity Water, and then you spit out the other end, not doing the same thing you came in with. So walk me through just high level. What were the things that you, through your tenure at Charity Water, what you did? Yeah, for sure. So my background is in fashion, as you mentioned uh, at the beginning, and, and that was really like kind of on the PR branding and marketing side. Um, but an output of that was doing big global events. And uh, that is how I fell kind of into the Charity Water landscape. I met the founder 
um, and attended a gala. And then a few years later, uh, the organization was in 2010. It had about 15 people. They were raising, like I said, you know, like you said, maybe 10 million or less a year. Um, and their big kind of moment of the year was their fundraising gala. And so I came in um, back then to produce that, that gala for them. And it was at a time where the organization was really growing, really succeeding. Um, but they had, they didn't have a st org structure really in place. They didn't have ownership really in place. So when I came in, it was like, hey, can you take this gala that we all used to work on and can you just produce it now so we can do our job so we can run charity water and continue to it's you know, a lot of work to do help that. people yeah. get clean water. And I guess we should say that you said at the beginning, you know, lots of people know what charity water is, but but perhaps not everybody does. So I'll give a little plug to charity water um, before I go back into my roles. But charity water is a nonprofit organization based in New York City. Uh, it'll turn 15 years old this year. And since the organization was founded by Scott Harrison, uh, we've reached, as you said, more than 12 million people with access to clean water. So charity water exists to serve um, people who are living without any access to clean water in developing countries, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa, also throughout Asia, um, with their first access to water. So oftentimes that looks like a well um, for a community who used to be walking hours to collect dirty water. And so Charity Water exists uh, as an organization really to solve this water crisis. There's now almost 800 million people on the planet that live without access to clean water. Um, and so Charity Water, that's really what we're here to do. That's the mission. But underlining Charity Water's mission is, is a really profound um, vision, which is to reinvent charity. So the reason that many people know about us is because we've worked really hard since the beginning to kind of disrupt the sector through proof and transparency and beautiful brand and hopeful and inspiring content. Um, and so that is Charity Water, which is where I was lucky enough to be for these 10 years. Um, and so when I came in, I came in as a consultant to produce that gala. Um, and then and pretty quickly after that consultancy, I was still in my full-time job, but really kind of just felt the power of this, this organization and of the, the founder's vision for what was possible in the world and had previously never thought about working in a charity ever. Um, I barely had a favorite charity at the time. No charity water quickly became mine. Um, and so and, and it just clicked together and I joined um, pretty shortly after that. I left my fashion position and I, I joined as executive producer, uh, which was a title we made up. Uh, and it basically meant get stuff done. Uh, and that stuff was we defined it as anything that had a beginning and an end, which if you look back at it, is a little bit arbitrary. Um, but, and it was uh, whether that be external facing like marketing campaigns or events or internal facing like developing systems and processes, which is you know why it goes back to kind of speaking to that original point of both kind of having an eye on the inside and an eye on the outside and the brand and the revenue, which I really loved the connection of those. So I, I came on as executive producer and really the first thing I did was just start asking questions, just start figuring out what was working and what wasn't working. So of the 15 people that worked there on the time, I interviewed each of them and, and just kind of put together a report and did a red light, yellow light, green light. What should we work on? What should we pause? What's going okay right now? Um, and then for the next 10 years, I just continued to work on that list more or less, you know, <laughs> evolving that list of what needs to happen. And so um, I was executive producer uh, for a few years, working kind of both on internal processes and uh, external campaigns, and essentially um, in the capacity of a project manager, built up a production team um, within the organization, which is a really kind of unique muscle that, that we have, which um, is what I've always considered the kind of connective tissue and translation of the org. Uh, and then I moved on to chief of staff. Uh, I was in that role for a few years, uh, and then I moved on to COO after that. What, was the, what is the difference between chief of staff and COO, what were you doing? 
well, for me, and again, I think these are these are titles, especially executive producer, which we kind of made up at the time and chief of staff, which was the first for our organization. And uh, when I assumed the, the title, it wasn't as popular as it is in the kind of startup world now. Um, it was more of like a political title that you would typically hear of. Um, and so so we were kind of defining it, which I think is a is an often a good strategy based on what are the needs of the business today and how do my skills relate to them. And chief of staff came when the chief of staff title came up, there was essentially the conversation that said, okay, our internal muscles and machines are running, running pretty well. Um, the projects that we've managed, they now can kind of run themselves. But what would it look like now for Lauren to turn her attention from working on the organization and the processes there to working on making the founder as successful as possible? And so the chief of staff was transitioning from the day-to-days of the business aspects of kind of the production aspects of the business to applying that same skill of how do we create more efficiency and maximize the return of the business, applying that then to the founder, Scott. And, And that itself then kind of resulted in saying, after some exploration saying, how do we get the best out of Scott? How do we set Scott up to be doing the most unique things that he's uniquely qualified to do and take away from him the things that he's not qualified to do? And I think oftentimes that's how the COO fits into the company. And that's the difference for me was the difference between the chief of staff and the COO. So the chief of staff is supporting the the CEO to be in this case, as effective as possible with his time, um, taking off some of his responsibilities, which then turned me into the COO as I took off the responsibilities from our founder, which related more to the day-to-day running of the business and managing of the team. um, And so that he could be out evangelizing the mission promoting, thinking about the future of the brand and really kind of doing the things that he was born to do. So it's just, it's basically a transition of, okay, taking the, making the founder or CEO and taking that and then taking on the role in in running the operations or anything that needs to be done from that point. Well, yeah, I think somewhat in my case, but in general, my my kind of philosophy to an organization's design um, is, is really about looking at that living, breathing ecosystem and understanding what is what is needed at any given time, right? Businesses change so much because the world changed so quickly. And so my role is only ever really a reflection of what is my skill set? What are the needs today of the organization? How does that match and balance with what else is already in the organization? So I believe in a really fluid, agile organizational structure. And my, you know, I'm less about like my linear path and step up path to my title structure, though this one ended up making a fair amount of sense when you look back on it. It was more so how do I continue to reinvent myself within this business so that I am serving at the highest potential capacity? That means that the business is performing really well, but also that I am challenged. And what happened for me time and time again is I would hire people that were better at the job than I was, and I would hand that chunk off. And then I would look to the other direction and find the next thing to focus on. So, so, you know, I think the the, the chief, the executive producer to the chief of staff to the COO and the difference between those roles had to do with the domain and the size of the domain that I was taking on. It had to do with the size of the organization and the intensity of the role that was required. But it was really a reflection of the business as a whole and how we as a team were performing because I'm kind of just one part of a larger, you know, connective force here. Yeah, because I think at one point, Lauren, you get an email from Scott Harrison, the founder, and you basically help smooth a lot of things over. And he's like, okay, now it's your turn to, to do that for me or something of that sort. That right? happened at one point. Yeah, I think that okay. was really the transition. Yep, it did. That was the kind of transition from 
executive producer to chief of staff was, hey, things are running pretty well here. You want to come focus on me now and like make my office run a little bit better, you know, make me more efficient, um, which was like a fun kind of transition. And then the, the next transition also kind of in, a, in an email, um, which is also to speak to like these, these trajectories don't have to be grandiose and like, oh my gosh, now I've been promoted to this. Like, although it was, it was more matter of fact and it was more nat a natural progression of my role within the organization and also within the company and what was needed for it at that stage. But the transition from chief of staff to COO was kind of like, we, we had had our first down year that had ever happened in the organization's history, which, um, you know, in some ways is, is a great blessing. We had, we had been growing and growing and growing, but we didn't know the opposite side of that. And we learned what that looked like and it hurt and we understood why. And we kind of picked apart that problem and, and understood what was underlining the foundation that made it so that um, we needed to pivot some business decisions. In that case, it was about repeatable revenue. But as we did that, we were tired because we had just been going at it for, you know, nearly 10 years. And so at that time, Scott was like, hey, I'm going to go take a break for a month and, and just take a mini, mini breather, clean up this, figure it out. And when you come back, maybe you can be COO. Or when I come back, you know, maybe we'll- it's Like we'll a trial by you. fire. Like it I'm going to leave for was. a month here. Good luck. No. Yeah, don't, don't light it up, you know? Uh, and, and I think what we ended up happening, and I think it goes back to this original concept of, of every organization is different and it's a reflection of the people in it. And the people are a mixture of roles and skills that need to match together. And what I think- we found out happening is that um, there was a chunk of the business that, that Scott at the time as CEO was feeling responsible for doing that, that maybe he could do a fine job at, but it wasn't what he wanted to be doing and it wasn't the best application of his skills. And if he could step away and see how I could fill into that gap, it allowed him to step back into the founder side of the role, still a CEO as well, but allowed him to redefine you know, what we call redefine your role mix, um, meaning where do I focus my time what are the roles that I hold and my holding the right roles? And so we kind of did this like shuffle within the organization at that time and specifically the exec team of like, what are the roles of the executive team and who should hold which ones based on the makeup of this exact team, right? Because I'm a big believer that like it kind of doesn't matter what your title is, like goes back to like COOs. We can look all look very differently. Some come from finance. Some could come up from a product background. Like I came from fashion with a PR background. Like that's not your typical COO, but I it's how do you think, how do you solve problems and what skills are you bringing to, to pull together the pieces of the business so that they operate the way they need to. And it's a, I think it's a mindset as much as a skill set and as much as experience. And so, you know, it goes back to when you're thinking about your type of COO, whether it be you're looking for a CEO in your company or you think you want to be a COO, you're ultimately figuring out like what is the unique skill set that you're bringing and how does it match the needs of the environment you're in? And that looks that looks different. I'd be a terrible COO in some institutions and I'd probably be a great one in others. There was a point, you know, in the down year, which uh, you're a really good writer. I read the article and you call it the redesign. Um, so what were some of the things you did to reinvent, to redesign um, Charity Water to get it to the next level? Yeah. Um, so I wrote this kind of medium piece that you're referring to, I think, which is uh, when I when I was transitioning out of Charity Water, which I guess is the highlight of this story here. I don't I guess we, you, you mentioned that I've kind of made my pivot, but I spent 10 years at Charity Water. It was an amazing 10 years. Um, and then I made this decision last year in 2020, not because of COVID, actually, despite it, um, to transition out of this organization and this role that I love and team and mission that is you know, incredibly a huge part of my life. But I did it because I felt the need to search for my next challenge and adventure. And I wrote this medium piece that you're referring to kind of as my love letter to Charity Water. And in it, we were talking, I was talking about this 
this pivot that the business made from um, a kind of one-time donation machine that was performing really, really well for the first several years of the organization to a subscription business model. And that was really the pivot and the redesign. And it speaks to that first down year. Um, we had our first down year in, in 2015 and we kind of looked around and said, what happened? And we realized that the revenue had fell off a cliff because of three donations, right? That like that were non-repeatable for a variety of factors that were unrelated to our business and related to the market. And so we um, we looked at the foundation and said, if we want to keep scaling, if we really want to solve the water crisis in our lifetime, which is what we're set out to do, we need to go faster and we need to make sure that we're not starting over at zero every single year, um, re-raising all of this money and then having to top ourselves on top of that. And so we pivoted back in 20, that was in 2015, we started to redesign the organization around a subscription model. Um, so a monthly giving model, which is not which is not new to the nonprofit space. It's actually quite old. There's the sponsor child model, um, but we wanted to reinvent what that looked like for a kind of future set of donors and a, a future community of givers. And at the same time, this concept of signing up for a subscription is all around us, right? You've got Netflix and Amazon. I mean, everybody's signed up. I mean, everything is a subscription this day. I think I signed up for two subscriptions today, like on accident. So, so we, we in 2015, heading into 2016, saw like there was this there was this way of reinventing what had been the traditional nonprofit model of a monthly or recurring giving model to a new aged way of thinking about subscription for good. Um, and we wanted to do that so that we could start to raise money that would raise money on top of itself as opposed to starting over and re-raising those funds. We wanted to get people to sign up forever to join the mission um, as opposed to one-off donations. And the first thing we needed to do was figure out how would our organization need to be designed to pivot towards that new strategy. We hadn't had a subscription program before 2016. So the first thing we did was really starting to understand what kind of monthly giving program were we gonna build and how were we gonna build it? Um, and so as we developed the strategy for what we thought that looked like with the existing team members that we had, then we started to identify what were the holes in our org structure that we didn't have to fill that. Um, at the time, um, we kind of thought about that through the lens of product and marketing. And then it took us a several years to figure out what should the kind of what should the, the structure of the business look like. And ultimately, the big pivot we made um, after having two years of, of the subscription program, which is called the spring, the monthly giving program we launched in 2016 is called the spring. We had two years of that program running kind of with our existing team in place. Um, and then we started to pivot the organization essentially towards a structure that said, we're going to prioritize the spring and we're going to show that we're prioritizing our monthly giving program by hiring one person to own that entire product and by, by kind of stacking the team and the resources needed to make that product successful underneath of it, as opposed to having just centralized functions. So we were previously pretty like centralized, almost like an agency where we had a creative team and an engineering team and a product team, and they serviced all of our audiences. And we started to to slowly kind of push that forward and put them under essentially one PL with one owner, really responsible for just one thing, which was driving the annual recurring revenue and owning the community of the spring members so that it was both an innovative and impactful program and also one that we could count on to, to really scale up our mission. Yeah, I love that because I remember, I mean, just chatter in nonprofit and for-profit on how you just created this subscription. And then on top of that, with the, the other pieces, the transparency of mm -hmm. Charity Water is unique too, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so Charity Water, as we said from the beginning, has this amazing mission to reinvent or to, to, solve, to solve the water crisis. But that underpinning vision of reinventing charity, there was a couple of really sound principles that, that 
that came along with that vision from the very beginning. And it came from this idea that we wanted people to believe and trust in charity, and we wanted a charity to feel hopeful and joyful. And so that meant first on the trust side, uh, Scott started the organization with a hundred percent model. It was a really bold promise that said every single dollar that is given to charity water will go straight to the field. hundred percent of every gift given from the public goes straight to the field, implements a water project and make sure somebody new is drinking clean water. Even the credit card fees are paid back. What that meant is that we needed to raise separate funds to fund our operations, but it promised the donor that and the millions of donors that have now given to charity water, that they knew that the dollar they gave wasn't going to go to pay our salaries and it wasn't going to go to pay to rent, which by the way, are important expenses that should be supported in a nonprofit um, and are in ours just as they are in others. But we said, if you want to know for a fact where your money is going, you can give to charity water. And we promise you hundred percent of your donation is going to go to the field and it's going to have an impact in clean water. And then we inspired a bunch of other people in a small private group of about 150 families that joined a program called The Well to support our operations. And we treat them as our stakeholders, our investors, and we showed them how important it was to fund the people that run the organization. And they, they uh, just understood that. And so that promise of transparency was really rooted into Charity Water from the beginning and one of the differentiators that really helped us grow and scale. Um, another part of the proof was that we promised from the beginning, we would prove every single project. And before I worked there, when um, Scott started Charity Water, he threw a party, he raised money, he took the names and emails of everybody that came to that party, he took the money they gave him, he brought it to Liberia, I think drilled the first well, went to like Walmart or something, got a GPS unit, went to Liberia, put it on the well in Liberia, and then sent everybody who came to that party, some of which probably didn't even remember they went to the party and certainly didn't remember it was for a charity, a picture of their well with the GPS coordinates um, and that it was pumping water. And so this idea that you could prove a water project that it existed, that a community had dirty water before and now they have clean water, that everybody can understand clean water is better than dirty water. Um, that was really built into this concept from the beginning of trust and transparency. I love it. I want to hear a little bit about your methodology to Lauren is when you start off with a project, right? Because you were mentioning red, yellow, green light. Talk to me about, okay, I come and you, you had these, whether you realize it or not, maybe you do, you kind of went to all the, the teams, uh, the people, you, you kind of gathered the information, you did the red, yellow, you know, walk me through when you come in to assess the problems, mm -hmm. what did you do for second, third? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's funny because like that red light, green light, yellow light audit thing I did now almost probably 11 or 12 years ago is still a similar mentality that I take to when I'm working with a business or, or a company now. And um, now in this stage of my um, career where I'm kind of have moved on from Charity Water and I'm exploring what's next, I'm working with a bunch of different uh, companies and clients on a bunch of different types of projects. And in each of them, there's the same, that some kind of similar concept, which is what, um, asking questions and understanding what exists and why. I'm a really big believer in like, in every business is unique and no matter how good you were or are in a certain environment, like to be good in another one, you have to shed your assumptions about the way that things work, understand the environment and then bring back slowly your experience to help inform that versus bringing in your experience and then smushing in what exists there into your experience, if that makes sense. I think a lot of people think like, okay, like operating looks like this or problem solving looks like this or marketing looks like this. And if I go into an environment where it doesn't look like that, then it's wrong. 
my, my thought is things must exist here like this for a reason. And because I believe the makeup of a business is it a reflection of the people in it and or around it, I start there. So the first thing I do is ask a lot of questions and essentially audit the business. And because I like to look at the connection and the connective tissue between the way the business runs and the way the business raises money, what I think about is ultimately let's narrowing down. The first thing I want to do is like narrow down on why do we exist, right? So I have this great case study of Charity Water having this really clear vision and mission. And then knowing that the way we make decisions and the way that we organize and the way that we hire is going to be based around understanding those two purposes. So what I do when I go in is ask a lot of questions about like, why do we exist? What are we here to do? Figure out where there's alignments or misalignments and then figure out where there's efficiencies or inefficiencies, right? A lot of times you find out that if there are silos in an organization, you've got multiple teams or multiple people doing some part of the same job. So I like to kind of listen and translate and ultimately what, what my brain does is it's a systems thinker. So what my, my kind of superpower is, 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 is getting all the individual pieces that might be making up a business and then figuring out what, is the, what are the lines that need to connect them to make us more efficient, more set up to grow or scale if that happens to be what's next for the organization. And how do you make every single moving part in that, in that business as effective as possible, whether it be a system, a process or a person. But it really starts by asking questions. Yeah. And, and you probably through asking questions and seeing prioritizing what's most important, you probably create this more linear path and probably eliminate certain things. It's creating inefficiencies along the way as you're creating this pathway that like, why are these, there's maybe you find redundancies or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes I, like, I consider myself a magnifying glass. Like I'm not discovering this thing. I'm just putting the light on it because the people there already know. But oftentimes I think you find that people in their own business, um, especially if they've been doing it for like more than a week, you just, it just becomes a routine. And I think COVID is a great, was like a great, like, like um, shakeup of that concept because all of a sudden everybody worked in this entire, had it worked in this entirely different way. And you started to question things about your life, about your job, about your team, about your efficiency, about your family, because all of a sudden you weren't just doing the same thing. And so I think that that same concept of like very dramatically happened within COVID, it happens within businesses where you just get into a routine. And even though, you know, it's a highly inefficient way to do your job, you don't either feel empowered to, or you don't, or you're, you don't feel like it, or you don't think it's worth it because nobody's going to listen to you, or you think it's going to be too much work and it's, it's a hassle and it's not worth it. Like there's all these reasons where people like create this box and then work within it. And I think my job is to just show how you break out of that box. Cause oftentimes the answers are there. You're, it's very rare that you're coming in and telling people something they haven't thought of before. Right. It's just, it's just, you're telling them it's more about the how. What's the, what's the step process forward to, to make that more efficient? Yeah, it takes, when you, you know, sh it takes shaking things up with someone basically coming in and asking questions and, you know, seeing what else could be done or how else could be done. Um, and that makes perfect sense. You know, Lauren, I've, I have two last questions for you. And before I ask them, I want to point people towards wherever you think we should point people towards. Obviously, they could check out Charity, you know, Charity Water on the internet. Where else? should we point people towards online? Yeah, for sure. Well, if, if you're feeling like joining an amazing cause and solving the world's water crisis, which is you know probably never a bad idea, you should definitely check out charitywater.org. It's an um, amazing organization and you could join the spring uh, there, which would be a great way to help the mission kind of continue this fight. Um, if you're interested in learning about um, pivoting your career, kind of what taking some of those steps look like, you can check out my Medium post. Um, 
online, which my name is Lauren Letta. And uh, if you search that in Medium, it'll come right up. Uh, and, and you can learn a little bit more about my trajectory at Charity Water and also kind of what, um, what I went through to make a decision to leave a job I love in search of something else to just challenge myself and kind of break out of the mold um, and, and push myself into a new environment. So my, I've found a lot of people that I talk to right now, whether it be COVID related or not, um, have made a decision to kind of change some version of their life or their career. And I find a lot of us go through very similar um, phases of fear and excitement about that. So in case it's uh, motivation for a change in your life, you could check that out. Thanks, Lauren. Check it out. It's, she's, she's a fantastic writer. So I suggest <laughs> everyone check it out on Medium and check out charitywater.org. Um, so Lauren, two last questions. And, and you don't have to go, uh, I know you have... Um, a child that needs your attention at some point. So you don't have to go too long with these two questions. But one I wanted to ask about uh, what I thought was fascinating too is the, the Will and Jada Smith trip that you uh, to Ethiopia. And then mm -hmm. I want to hear just what's next for you. So sure. um, I thought it was fascinating. I watched the video of Will and Jada Smith. Uh, just tell me briefly, tell me a little about uh, what happened there. Yeah, sure. Will and Jada Smith, uh, gosh, what is it? I don't know, 2011, 2012. Um, they gave up their birthdays, which was a kind of founding idea of Charity Water, the idea of give up your birthday. And instead of asking for gifts, ask for money for clean water. The, um, they did that jointly together for their birthdays. And they um, did that through a fundraising campaign where they told they told the world that if you give to our campaign, we will kind of do a random uh, selection and pick a couple of people who get to go to Ethiopia with Will and Jada Smith. Pretty cool perk. Um, and we'll go see the, the work firsthand. Uh, it was a, we, I remember us being like, just amazed at every step of the way when it actually happened for like, it's Will and Jada Smith, like the biggest celebrities, you know, we couldn't imagine like, are they really going to release the video? And then are they really going to fundraise? And are they going to really go to Ethiopia? Um, and all of those things really did happen. And we took a small group to Ethiopia, um, of folks who had fundraised, um, mm -hmm. on behalf of Will and Jada Smith's birthday. I think they raised several hundred thousand dollars. We, uh, implemented water projects. Uh, in the northern Nidhi of Tigray and Ethiopia um, in their names. And then we went to see them together. And it was, a I remember um, we were like on a dirt road in the middle of, you know, a, a very rural Tigray, Ethiopia. I was standing there with Scott and the rest of the guests and all of the crew um, from our implementing partner uh, there in Ethiopia. And we were like, there's just no way they're going to show up. Like we're on the end of a dirt road in like the middle of nowhere. Like they're definitely not going to come. And like here you see the dust in the cars and they showed up and they spent two days uh, dancing in, uh, with the people and visiting the water projects and um, really getting to see the impact that they made. So it was an incredible experience. Amazing. That's amazing. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next for me is probably no more trips to Ethiopia with Bill and Jada Smith. So, <laughs> You're Ethiopian um, now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, well, hopefully Over Ethiopia 10 years. one day, maybe yeah. Ethiopia. I don't think I'll ever be out uh, Ethiopia out. Ethiopia is an amazing, yeah. amazing place, and the people are wonderful. And 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 um, you know, the country now is actually going through through a pretty pretty significant uh, war, and it's definitely worth checking out how you could support Ethiopia right now in many different ways. Um, uh, and it's dear to my heart. But what's next to me uh, is, is, as I said, I'm kind of exploring this new. Um, flexibility and of, of my life and, of, and a little bit more um, agility of my career. So after spending 10 years focused on one huge mission, now I'm kind of trying to diversify myself and work on a couple of different types of problems um, in the for-profit and impact space both, um, and working with a couple of different brands and companies um, at a variety of stages, solve a variety of problems, which is a really exciting new kind of version of myself. 
Lauren, I want to be the first one to thank you. Thank you so much for, for what you have done. Thank you for what you will do. <laughs> and uh, everyone check out more episodes. Thanks, Lauren. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of you know, the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. That's my